very important, the timekeeping device, as you know. Um, this morning, I'm going to be preaching from Acts chapter 20 and from verse 33. Acts chapter 20, verse 33. Acts chapter 20, verse 33. We're coming to our final stage of this uh, part of what we feel God's saying to us in terms of loving in which is building committed community. And uh, if you have come and joined us for the first time today, uh, this preaching series is, is planned long in advance. And so you've just happened happen to come on the one Sunday that, that I think we, we're preaching on, on financial giving, which the last time we've done is two years ago. So before you get the wrong idea about what I'm preaching on today and feel a bit awkward and going, oh, a church asking for money, you know, that sort of, just relax, don't worry. Our church is not like that. But we do believe, although money is a very personal thing, it is a personal pathway to blessing. And as Christians, Christ has a lot to say about money, about what we own and how we use it and how it's supposed to play out in our lives. And uh, I want to uh, make a point today that one of the ways you know that you are growing in Christ and under the leadership of the Spirit is how we handle our money. And often you'll find in Scripture, it's, it's an amazing correlation between God being able to point out the objectivity of where people are at, it's particularly Israel. If you look at, at uh, like Malachi, these great prophets, in the way that they are related to him through the way that they relate to him through money. And so money is not just, that's my point, a practical thing. It's a spiritual thing in our lives. And so I want to talk today about how do we, as Christians, build committed community here at Sterling? How do we love in at Sterling through this very practical and very personal uh, aspect of finances? And I had to laugh because when we preached on eldership last week, the very next few verses, I never saw the correlation in my life before until I had to prepare for this Sunday, was in verse 33 where Paul, after talking about elders, he says this, he says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. In other words, my motive, Paul's saying, I didn't come and plant this church so I could be rich. <laughs> it's a good precedent to follow. And he said, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In other words, Paul demonstrated his love for the church in saying, I could have demanded a salary the moment I arrived. I could have put a heavy burden on you, say, you got to give and pay for my expenses. And Paul, if you read the New Testament, liked to travel a lot, right? I, I sometimes sh shudder to think what his travel allowance would have been. I mean, he went all over the place. And here, this Apostle Paul says, I had rights, but I laid them down because of my love for you. I could have demanded money, but I didn't. Rather, I worked with the strength of my own hands that I might be a blessing to you. Wow. And in Paul's generosity, he sets an example of saying, I am showing you that by hard work with our hands and the income we receive for it, we can be a blessing. We can be a blessing to the work of God. This was a, a I don't know how large the church at Ephesus was, but it was a church plant type uh, movement. Uh, Paul was there for three years, and with his own hands, he not only provided for himself, but for those who came along by faith for the work. And in essence, Paul is setting a model for us. He's saying, guys, 
we have the joy of being used by Jesus to be a blessing to the church and to see God's kingdom move through her establishment and the preaching of the gospel. And he discovered, far from it being a burden, he says here, it is the most glorious quotation of Jesus. Paul says here, by working hard in, the way we, in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. I'm reading from verse 35. How he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And it was far from being a nervous breakdown moment for Paul where he's like, oh, this is just too heavy. He discovered that the words of Jesus proved true. That in his generosity towards God's people as unto God, he discovered something that when Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive, he was right. And some of us know what it's like in our own lives, right? Sometimes as parents, I know when you give something to your children, you get more excited than they do, not so. <laughs> in actual, I've watched, our, we have a generous church. I want you to know, if you're new here today, SBC is a generous church. I've watched guys fill up with tears, giving towards those in need, because they've experienced what Jesus said. I'm going, it's just so much, so more blessed to give and to receive. And so what we're talking about today, we're not talking about something heavy and something like, oh. No, we're talking about what Jesus himself said and what he discovered. Can I just point out as an intro to the sermon, did anyone give more than Jesus? He discovered in his own life it was the pathway of joy. And so I want to very briefly highlight some points of why should we preach on money? As a church, it is very difficult for us because we've had some bad flack because there are some unhelpful approaches to preaching on money. I hope I, I'm going to remove that today for you. That we are not preaching on money because of greed. We're preaching because we believe in grace. And Jesus said how we related to money was very important because it revealed where our hearts were towards God. He said, you know, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Sorry, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's going to be a funny morning. I've had about two hours sleep. My kids are sick, so enjoy the ride, right? And money is supremely practical. It reflects the character of the person. If you want to see if somebody has self-control, you see it in the way they manage their money. I'm telling you, the money becomes an extension of a person's character. It also is the great competitor to you following Jesus. You need to know this morning. He says, Jesus, no man can serve two masters. You'll love one more than the other. The other master Jesus talks about is money. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. In other words, your movement and maturing as a Christian has competition. And its competition is money. Because money resembles so much of God to us. Not so provision, security, status. It is the primary thing that says, I trust in me rather than God. And then also... It's important to preach on money is because it's the pathway to great joy, the way that we use our cash for God. It leads to what you would never have expected, great blessing. And for us in our society, our westernized societies, the great antidote to the greed and discontentment of the day is how Jesus approaches money and giving. It's wonderful. And lastly, quickly, I want to run through a few points about why I preach on money. It's because the way we use our money, Jesus says, echoes into eternity. And notice it's not about how extravagant the number of noughts are in the end, but before God. Remember that widow that had two little copper coins? She put it into the, the offering at the temple. When God 
when Jesus noticed what this woman had done and the context of giving in her life, it did something for God. And so there is this promise of reward in the way that we seem to seek to imitate God in his generosity. It says, Matthew chapter 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy. And in South Africans, we know where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. Does that sound like something that's heavy and awful? No, my friends, it is an invitation to enjoy the goodness of God because he says, for the, with the measure you use, oh, it will be measured back to you. You want to take God on in generosity, you'll see that you can't outgive the giver. And it also says, in our giving, something happens in our lives. Is Paul says, we get enriched in every way. You might not be wealthy in money getting, I mean, that's not what we're preaching. We're not preaching for like these giant mansions, but you'll discover something in the spirit that God has a way of filling up your heart as you honor him in generosity. And, and the reason that it's important to preach as well, before I move into my next point, is Paul said something, and I never saw this before, but he said, guys, in, in, in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 7, it says, but just as you excel in everything, and as a Christian, we want to do well in things, right? We want to do well in faith. We want to trust God through tough times. We want to do well in speech. We want to speak in a way that honors Jesus. It says, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Is that this aspect of giving, Paul says, is something to be discovered for the Christian that will lead to grace flowing in our lives. Now, I don't blame you if you think the moment I started to say we're going to talk about a sermon on giving, you're thinking, oh, Matt Jones is going to whip out the sermon on tithing. <laughs> if you've been around, you might have heard that word. If not, don't worry, it's okay. And I'm sure you're going, he's taking a long time to get to the point where he talks about giving a tenth of our income. But can I point out to you, tithing, if, if for those of us who are here, and I'm going to bring us up to speed in just a moment, for those of us who don't quite know what I mean, it's quite a tricky issue in the New Testament. It's not easy to tackle looking at what we have in the new covenant. And so our motivation to give is a big question, a big theme in the New Testament of why we as Christians are generous people. And for those of us quickly who want to just know what this thing of tithing is called or why it's there, it comes from the Old Testament where there were two great men, Abraham and Jacob, and they both spontaneously gave a tenth because... It was this moment of God just being so good to them. They, in response of worship, Abraham won a great battle, and he gave a tenth of all the spoil, and he got a lot. And Jacob as well, two generations later, was a grandson of, of, of Abraham. He was in Bethel. It was a place where he was close to God. And out of this encounter with God, this generosity rose up, and, and Jacob said to God, I'm going to give you a tenth of what I earn. And then 430 years later, that giving of a tenth was made legal in something called the law of Moses for Israel. In other words, it was used as a tenth of the income. They were agricultural society for crops and animals, a tenth of their livestock and a tenth of their crops to support a tribe in Israel called Levi that had no land. Their job was to maintain the religious systems and covenantal structures of Israel. They were kind of what you call your full-timers if you tell, <laughs> in the 12 tribes of Israel. And so what happened here is we see 
But it was legislated much later, and it was you, you brought the tithe to the temple and the storehouse for the support of, of the tribe of Levi. But this issue of what motivates giving for the Christian is a tricky one because the New Testament's quite clear. We are not under law. Have you ever thought about that this morning? Is some of the most outstanding scriptures saying of the Christian in Romans chapter 7, verse 46, Paul says, be careful of looking to the law to be the motivation for giving you because remember, Christian, you're not under the law. It says in Romans chapter 7, verse 46, Likewise, my brothers and sisters, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. That's what we celebrate on Good Friday. So that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. Here it is. So that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Now, if you're scratching your head, I don't blame you. So do theologians. <laughs> I'll say some more. Galatians 2.19, Paul says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. Ephesians 2.15, Christ abolished the law of commandments. Romans 6.15, we are not under law, but under grace. And Romans chapters, in Hebrews chapter 7 to 9, this writer of the Hebrews says, we are under a new covenant with a new priesthood that is even better than the one. We've got a high priest called Jesus, not a high priest of Aaron. It says we have a better sacrifice. We don't have these goats and bulls. We've got Jesus Christ's own blood, and we have better promises in this new covenant. Isn't that amazing? It's altogether higher than the old. And so for the Christian, we have to be careful here because we have a new relationship under Christ by the Spirit. In other words, we don't look to the law primarily to teach us how to please God. We have to walk by the Spirit. Now, are you scratching your head some more? The law, John Piper says, is not the primary way by which we relate to God or by which we discern what is pleasing to God. So the question is, if you're following me, the question is, what does the Christian live under then? If we're not under the old covenant law of Moses, and remember, that's the whole point. Jesus said that every time we celebrate communion, which we're going to do in a moment, we celebrate a new covenant, a new dispensation of grace. Is then what are we under? My friends, I want to point out to you what the New Testament points us to in Christ. Is that we are not under the law of Moses as Christians. We are under Jesus. And Paul will say, you're not under the law of Moses. You're under the law of Christ. So that when, you, when Howie is looking to who is his authority and model for how to live a righteous life and to be a pleasing life, it is Jesus. Can I say to you today as a Christian, Moses isn't your model. Moses pointed to the one who is Jesus, and grace put you into the one who Moses is pointing to, Jesus. Your model for a sinless life, obedience to God, of generosity, of walking by the Spirit, of, of, of living a life that honors God, it is Christ. Are you with me? Isn't that wonderful? That when you look at how you are to love people and serve people, and minister to people, Christ, my friend, is your example. Wow. And so can I say to you, the tricky part is here is 
Well, if Christ is our example, did he uphold the law as the means of the motivation for giving? There was only once when Jesus spoke about giving a tenth or tithe. It was when he was taking on those Pharisees. Oh, he had some bones to pick with them, boy. And he said, you tithe your little herbs. Like, if you imagine your herb garden, they would pick off a tenth of their, their <laughs> cumin and their dill. He says, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law. You neglect righteousness and mercy and justice and these things. And we know Jesus had to say to those Pharisees they had to keep the law. Because in Matthew 5, until Christ had fulfilled the law through his ministry, death, and resurrection, that law was in full force. Those Jews, and let me tell you, if anybody wanted to discover God, had to come into that covenant. And Jesus said, if you don't keep the law, you'll be sinning against God until that we preached on, uh, last week, last year. On, and Christ came to fulfill the law. And what, was happen- what, what we celebrated on Easter, sorry, is when Christ died, what tore? The, the temple curtain, Right? In that moment, that old covenant was no longer necessary to approach God. You had to come into the new covenant, which was through Christ. Are you with me? Can you just give me a nod? Thank you, Howie. And so, after Christ's resurrection and his apostles, there isn't a direct reference to say, the law is the motivation for giving. So, What is the New Testament's motivation for us to have big hearts, generous hearts towards God? It is this. It is that our model of generosity becomes Jesus. Can I say the thing? When you open up your New Testament and you read the books of the Acts of the Apostles, do you notice a going back in generosity or a going forward? When you read in Acts chapter 2, you must do it. It is the most wonderful thing of seeing the church coming alive in joy to Jesus. It's far from them going, we're not under the law, yay. What these guys are doing is, I love you so much, my brother. I love you so much, God. They're selling their houses. Acts chapter 2 verse 45, to give to them. I'm not putting that on us here, all right? I'm not saying anybody sell their house, please. But I'm saying is, these guys were so stirred by what they had received in Jesus that their hearts for their brothers and sisters in Christ was overflowing in generosity and gratitude to God. That we see, and it's, it's the pattern of the New Testament, the Old Covenant gave us a good level of understanding, well, this is what's pleasing to God. The New Covenant ramped it right up because of the blessings that poured out through it. And the New Covenant, whenever you see the Spirit being poured out in the New Testament, you see generosity. There's Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. The Spirit is poured out. The church is just exploding with loving through generosity. When you see the Macedonian, there's a revival in Greece. I mean, these Macedonians, they were poor. The northern parts of Greece, who who knows the great Macedonian uh, leader, Alexander the Great? He came from poor stock. Athens was the big place. Corinth was the wealthy place. These Macedonians were so stirred with the desire to be generous towards God and to serve the saints that when there was time to collect something for a famine relief, it says they gave beyond their means. You couldn't hold them back because God had so touched their hearts. It's beautiful. Not an ounce of threatening, not an ounce of law, but the Spirit showing them that in Jesus, they were the richest people in the world. They could be so generous because they had received so much. Amen? Let me tell you today, I want you to feel the dignity of being called a child of God. 
when you drive through the streets, you go through different suburbs, right? You go through some that are middle class, and you go through some that are rather upper class. And, so, and I'm sure when you drive past, you admire those lovely buildings. I do. Particularly the ones that look like English kind of country houses. I've got a, I, I love that sort of history. But you, oh, I want you to say this to yourself next time you do that. Did you say, I am more wealthy than whoever owns that place. Because without Christ, I have got nothing. Can I point out to you as a Christian today, someone paid your ransom, your get out of jail free. <laughs> his name is Jesus. And by his blood, my friend, today, you were atoned for. You know what that means? You are totally forgiven by God. None of man's wealth, not even the richest man in the world, can buy an ounce of plot in heaven. No one can buy an ounce of forgiveness. And here Jesus comes, and he enters himself. Don't ever forget this. He was, do you think he, it was going well for him in heaven? I, there was a lot of gold, I think you read in heaven, right? It's a very wealthy place. Mother of pearl, I mean, it's all symbolic, but it shows the, the glory. And Jesus says, I will empty myself out of loving generosity for you, so that I will come to your poverty so you can have my riches. For free. Oh, do you know what guys say grace stands for? God's riches at Christ's expense. And he offers it out. How he says to you, you are mine. By taking it by faith, by taking this Jesus, the Son of God, by grace, he is offering you the wealth of heaven the greatest prize in heaven is yours his name is jesus there was nothing more precious in heaven than christ and god gave him to you wow so that's where we start 2 corinthians 8 verse 9 says for your for you know the grace of our lord jesus christ that through though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. I've got a lot of other reasons why we can be motivated under the new covenant. And I'm just going to make them as statements because there's not enough time. But the second is that Jesus points out that actually everything we own is God's anyway. <laughs> I just sit there going, oh, Lord, forgive me. My image of my life is like Gollum, you know, in the ring. It's my precious, my own. You know, and you, you're like, this is all mine. And I felt like the Lord laugh at me and go, Matthew, do you realize that every good thing in your life is from me? You're just a steward enjoying the goodness of God. Every ounce of cotton on your, or whatever, polyester, whichever you prefer, on your back. That roof over your head. That breakfast you ate this morning, the question is to understand, where's all of this goodness coming into my life? It's coming from God. We live off the overflow of God's kindness. And in a sense, when it comes to generosity, the New Testament will say, don't forget, it's not actually yours. <laughs> that this is not actually yours to hold on to. God's given it to you so that you may gain great glory. And honor him with what's actually his. The, the third thing that, that the New Testament points us to is the blessing of giving. Jesus is far from being the one that goes, man, God's always taking from me. You will discover 
that when you choose to give in obedience to the joy in your heart, to the Holy Spirit, to the leading and opportunity that's presented to you in Christ, you will discover that instead of it leading to your loss, it will lead to your gain. I've got so many scriptures. You know, God says you can test him on one thing. It is this, on being generous. He says, test me on this. In Malachi 3 verse 10, it says, Will not the Lord of hosts open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need? Notice it's not until you have five mansions and three airplanes, but going that you will know the security of being provided for by a faithful father. 2 Corinthians 9 says, Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. That's law. For God loves a cheerful giver. And this is it. And God, listen to this, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, I said, so that having sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You just can't get more encouraging than that. And that, I'll just make the, the next point. The fourth thing is that, that our, the way we use our money will be echoed in heaven. I don't understand it, but it's linked to this generosity. God loves to honor joyful obedience to him. It's called reward in heaven. You'd think it's crazy. Shouldn't Christ just be enough? Yes, he should be. But God says, put me to the test here. If you want to try and outdo me in generosity and your obedience, oh man, let me tell you, you'll come short because you can't outgive him. The other thing that, the, the fifth thing that Paul talks about here is he points to where we give. He says, you give to where you are blessed in the word. It's so important. He says, these guys that labor for you in preaching and teaching, it is to your benefit that they are released to do so because the further they go in Christ, the further you go too. And so for the church, the honoring of, of, of this ministry of the word, and we have the word being ministered right now to our children, to our preteens, to our youth, to our, our congregation, to the city through gospel endeavors. Paul says, prize the preaching and the ministry of God's word with your giving. Because as you do that, so you enable them to be a greater blessing to you. And so 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders, remember that's, they, they oversee the local church, your local church, who rule well, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. In the same way, 1 Corinthians 9.14, The Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And my... Sixth point, <laughs> before my final run runway, is you know our money is so helpful. And this is what God put on my heart for me. Is it helps us stay objective as to how spiritual we really are. <laughs> you know, it's easy to kid yourself about how spiritually mature you really are until it comes down to the one thing that competes for faithfulness to Jesus. The one thing where you find your security, your identity, your status, it's this thing called money. And when we are 
persistently anxious about it, or when we are obsessed about it, or when we are afraid to lose any aspect of it, it portrays in your heart and mind the true reality of where we are with the Lord. And it's so helpful. Don't feel guilty this morning. Go, actually, how am I doing with the Lord? This is such a helpful point for me because I'm actually able to go in my life for sure. Lord, I've missed something here. It's the way I relate to the money you give me. Is I want to see Christ. And so, looking at the New Testament, if law is not the motivation, in other words, I could lay it on really thick today and go, you better feel guilty. That is not the New Testament. The New Testament is, I feel grace growing in my heart to trust the one who has given me Jesus and has enlarged my life to the degree that I lack nothing in Christ. Nothing. And because I am so rich in Jesus, how can I withhold the goodness I have had poured out into my life? How can I withhold being a blessing to others? That's how it works. It's joy. It's a sense of God has got me. Money's not my security. And man, I mean, I, this thing has been said three, three months ago. We said the preaching. Imagine having to preach it in the midst of a recession. I am a normal human being like you. I know what it's like out there, right? Business is difficult. School fees are increasing. Nappies and formula are very expensive at this time of my life. But can I point out to you? When these things happen to the Christian, they test where our confidence lies. Amen? Is where do we really believe our provision is coming from? That's it. And when we start to acknowledge, because this issue of generosity is an issue of worship. It is an issue of saying, Lord, I'm under your generosity and I choose today to trust you in faith by being regularly generous to you because you are so regularly generous to me. That my life is in the most secure hands possible. I hope you believe that today. And so what can we learn from the New Testament giving is the first thing is this. Almost there. Is that God calls us to give regularly. He said, guys, if you want to look at how to manage your finances, Paul says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. Paul's saying, be diligent in choosing to set aside your giving to the Lord. That's the first thing. Be diligent. Be regular. As God gives, in worship, give. Give back. Secondly, this. It is prioritized giving. In other words, the priority of your giving goes to the place which ministers the gospel to you. It goes to your local church for good reason. The local church coordinates the mission, the mandate, the maturing of the saints. And so this is the place if you're wanting to get bang for your buck. <laughs> Paul says, if I may use it uh, colloquially or uh, tongue-in-cheek. He's saying, you give it here. There's a lot of need out there. We are called to be generous but this is the place you start. And it's to your own advantage that you do so. The third is that when we give, it must be thoughtful and prayerful. 
And that's the, that's the thing here. There is nothing wrong with giving 10%. But the issue here is, are you being prayerful with what God has put in your hand and being thoughtful? In other words, Paul says, each must give as what he's determined in his heart. And so Paul's saying, don't separate your finances from your spiritual life. Bring it in under the Spirit and say, God, how can I keep this fresh in you? Are you with me? How can I keep on my toes and where the Spirit is leading me and how He's leading me? How can I be open prayerfully and thoughtfully about this wonderful area where I can be a blessing as a Christian? This thing of giving by rote, the, the risk of it is, is that you become closed to the joy of how God can use you. The fourth is this. So it's regular, it's prioritized, it's thoughtful and prayerful. The fourth is this. It is generous, joyful, and sacrificial. The question around giving is if you're asking me, Matt, the question of just give me a number. Give me a, give me a percentage. Tell me what I must give to God. I'll get there in a moment. But my first question to you is, what is your heart in doing so? Is it to be generous to the Lord? Is it to be done joyfully to the Lord? And is it sacrificial? In other words, is my heart to demonstrate Christ in just as it was costly for him to make me rich, I want to demonstrate the same Christ-like love for God and his people in giving. That's what I want to start with. I want to say, is that your heart? That's the right place to start with before the Lord, before getting to any technicalities. If it's not from that heart, then come back to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to come before you and I want to be generous, sacrificial, and joyful in my giving. And so I want to ask you, for people like me, I've, I've, I've been a church boy for most of my life, all my life, and my parents taught me from young to give, and that giving was a blessing to me. It was a blessing. They trained me to give 10%, but also to be generous. And <clears throat> my experience has been, it has led to great joy in my life. And I want to say to you this morning, those of you who've been faithful in giving, well done, but sometimes you can lose your joy in doing so. And so come back. Come back to the Lord and say, Lord, this is for you. This is my joy to do so. I bring it back under the Spirit. I want my heart to be enlarged to you today. That this will be my act of worship and honor for you. Joyfully giving. Is it sacrificial? Is it joyful? Is it generous? My last point is this. Point number five. If you don't remember any of it, all the notes are available at the back. Okay. But this is it. If some of us, and I understand how life works, right? And I don't want you to feel an ounce of guilt here this morning. But sometimes life happens and giving stops. Sometimes we just don't know that God ever gives the opportunity to give. For some, maybe it's the first time someone's ever said, you have an opportunity to bring pleasure to God. And so if that's you this morning, 
for whatever reason, whether it has been the brutal nature of life, and in a sense, your heart is closed because of the pain of loss and the strain of need. I just feel the Lord nudging you this morning to go, I'm still in the boat. Will you trust me? And that is between you and the Lord. Is I want to encourage you in this area where you can put God to the test of being generous. I, 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 cannot, I do not have time, nor do I think it would be wise to explain to you how many times God honored faithful, joyful giving. And people are nodding here. If, I, I hope, and I think about it, in the days to come, if God has been faithful in this area, I want you to share it. But this is it. My question to you is, who are you trusting as your provider in this season? The way, and I have husbands on my heart here this morning because as a fellow husband, the weight of wanting to provide for your family, it is massive. And I want to say to you, who is the provider in your family? Is it your own hands, my friend? If that's the case, you will hold on as tightly as possible to whatever penny you have because ultimately the control of your finances is in your hands. That's the bottom line. Where God is inviting you, it's just between you and him to go, God, what are you giving me faith for in this season to honor you as the one I trust? That's it. Nobody checks giving in this church. Nobody does it under compulsion. But from my heart, I want to say, if you've stopped giving for whatever reason, I want to say to you today, whatever you decide before the Lord and what he puts in your heart, go for it. Go for it. He will be faithful. He will provide. And the reason why he wants you to do it this way, where you're doing it on the other side of him coming through, is because that is faith, my friend. We walk by faith and not by sight. And he wants you to put him at his word. That's how salvation comes. You receive Jesus by putting God to his word. It is by grace through faith that you receive Christ. What evidence do you have that is true? It is simply saying, you've said it, I believe it. On the other side, it proves true. But for you today, God is saying, will you take me at my word? Do you know the scripture that we always quote, I will never leave you nor forsake? You know that wonderful thing? We, do you know that it's actually about money? Can I read it for you? Hebrews 13, verse 5. It says here, Do not love money, but be content. Don't you know? I will never leave you nor forsake you. Is that incredible? And I'd say to those who are saying, I, I never knew this before, but I want to give. Give me a how. Where do I start? Well, I've thought a lot about this, and I think 10% is a good place to start. And the reason why is because under the law, that is where the old covenant sat. But under the new covenant, we are, going to, are to go beyond the law. And so if you had to ask me, what is the guideline that we see in Scripture? I would say, if you are wanting to... Start to excel, which means move your giving forward. Between you and God, not between you and me, not between, between you and God, is you can start at 10%. And the reason for that is, 
in a sense, that is the springboard into the new covenant. But even that, my friend, today must be done joyfully in your heart. Not under guilt, not under the threatening of punishment. It must be between you and God saying, God, I want to do this for you. And so, three words. The heart of the Christian is to give. Can we all say joyfully? Can we say joyfully? Joyfully, yes. Joyfully. One more time. Joyfully. The second is sacrificially. Let's say it again. Sacrificially. And generously. Let's say it. Generously. So it's joyfully, sacrificially, generously. Amen. I want to pray for us before we go to communion. Ten, you have a special anointing. I am on time. Praise the Lord. Okay. I want to pray for us before we hold these, this glorious symbol of Christ's generosity to us. Amen. Oh, when we hold this this morning, we ought to feel so loved. Remember what God said is, if he did not withhold his own son, how much more will he give us what we need in Jesus? Lord, your spirit is here. It is just so good to bask in your goodness. Oh, Lord, it's so good. What more proof do we have in Jesus that you will be good to us? You've given us your best gift. How much more will you not withhold the lesser? And God, today we want to hold Christ in our hearts with joy. Oh, Father, you gave him joyfully to us, sacrificially and generously. We taste and eat of Jesus today by grace. Oh, Lord, we want to model the thanksgiving in our hearts to say, Lord, our hearts are melted before you with just joy for what you have given us in Christ. We are so wealthy, Lord. We are so blessed. And so, God, as we are about to have this served to us, Lord, I just pray, would you flood our hearts with thanksgiving. Church, this is the body of Christ broken for you in your hands as you hold the bread, the costliest gift given to you, lavished on you. And as you take the cup, this is the forgiveness of your sin. You must taste the sweetness of experiencing the generous forgiveness of God. And Lord, I pray as we do so this morning, freely as we've received, Lord, I be freely give to you. We love you so much. I'm going to ask those, just stay where you are in quietness and gentleness. Marvel at Jesus. We're going to serve the cup and the bread to you. I'm going to ask you to hold on to it and we're going to eat and drink together.